Welcome to the Ludogogi Podcast, your monthly games-based learning earworm. We're your hosts. I'm Antonis. And I'm Sarah. And today on the Ludogogi Podcast, to tie in with June's theme of well-being, we welcome Logan Timmins. Logan is a queer trans games designer based in Australia whose work focuses on self-reflection and storytelling. I first came across his work when I found the game Logan, which, as you can probably tell from the title, has autobiographical features. With a really innovative approach, the player plays through scenes in Logan's life, deciding the outcomes through dice rolls, and finishes the game with a journal containing the player's version of Logan's experiences. Welcome, Logan. We always like to ask our guests for an interesting fact about themselves, which is maybe not too widely known. So tell me, what would people be surprised to discover about you? Yeah, thank you for both for having me on. I was thinking about this question earlier. And I think the sort of funniest fact that I can think about of myself is that I own no blue jeans. I have green jeans, black jeans, and a pair of pinky red jeans, but no blue jeans. Well, that's very unusual. I'm just trying to think <laughs> how I would get through my day without wearing jeans, <laughs> blue jeans. Just, just more colourful, you know? Yeah, yeah. Very true. It's not even on purpose. It's just, and it's just happened. Wow. Yeah, that's the first time I've ever heard that. That is definitely unique. <laughs> uh, and judging by the name of the game, uh, our audience can already guess that Logan is indeed autobiographical. But is that uh, is that kind of a general way that you get your ideas for new games? Are they usually based on your life, or or how do you get them otherwise? Yeah, usually I get my ideas for games around my life, things that, or events that have happened, relationships, um, even the place around me. I have a series of zines that are just sort of around, inspired by the, the land I live on or the, the places I've been. So yeah, largely my personal experiences or just kind of life and stuff that's going on around me. Cool. So, um, Obviously, I mentioned earlier that one of the things that really attracted me to, to your game, Logan, was the fact it was so sort of groundbreaking in terms of its mechanic and, and the way it, it worked. Do you have a, a favourite game mechanic? Um, um, and have you, have you used that in your games? And how did it work out? Mm, yeah, thanks for the kind words, Sarah. Um, as for favourite game mechanics, I, a couple of things come to mind. Um there's two systems, both by um, Vincent and McGay Baker, who are excellent game designers. Uh, one of them is uh, the Powered by the Apocalypse framework, um, which was originated by their game Apocalypse World. And then there's another framework um, called the Firebrands framework, which originated with their game Mobile Frame Zero Firebrands. And these two systems um are very different to each other but in a couple of my games um like logan they i've taken elements from both and i feel like there's a a nice overlap that happens between the two of them that progresses stories in a way that i really like so using logan as as the example um what i took from firebrands is i is the idea of discrete scenes um, zooming in on, you know, the action or the exciting parts um, and kind of, you know, skipping over all the, the boring bits of like, oh, yes, I walk to this place. Uh, and then we do the exciting thing, just skipping to the, to the good bits. And then from Powered by the Apocalypse games, I took the idea, um, a particular dice mechanic where you roll two six-sided dice and add a particular stat to gain 
um, your outcome and the different levels of success. So 10 or higher being um, a full success, seven to nine being a mixed success. So something bad often happens as well. And six or lower being a failure. And um, by putting those two things together, I don't know that I find that you've got an element of chance. That's really fun, but also still an element of choice in choosing which scene you want to do next. Um, and that just works really well for me. So I've done that with Logan, done that with another game preparing for Paris. Um, and I probably will do it in other games going forward. <laughs> for, for people listening who might not know what those uh, two sort of uh, game mechanics are or those game systems are, um, I know Powered by the Apocalypse quite well. So as I understand it, uh, but the way that I like to describe it to people is that it's kind of a reaction against the very, very complex kind of role-playing um, systems like Dungeons and Dragons, where you're constantly, in order to keep the narrative going, you're having to refer to lots of really complex tables of what happens when you do uh, trigger this trap or what monsters are in this room and how many they are and what their stats are. Whereas Powered by the Apocalypse um, seems to have these much more simplified ways of... Um, uh, dealing with role-playing, which are much more narrative-based. So instead of having characters with very complex stats, you have characters which have narrative characteristics um, and you push forward the story by referring to those. Would you say that was correct? Have I missed anything out about Powered by the Apocalypse? Mm, I'd say uh, yes and, uh, funnily enough. Um, I think that the and that I would put on that is uh, I think... Powered by the Apocalypse games, by the nature of the way that moves are written, often invite the player um, to narrate some of their own consequences or have mm. a bit more say on how the story progresses, moving from, you know, Dungeons and Dragons where the player rolls and the GM basically na- narrates everything from there to players being able to say, oh, this is what I hope to go well or this is what, you know, would be would be really terrible if this happened to my character. So, yeah, bring on, bring that on. Um, so, I, yes, I'd add that on. But, yeah, I'd agree with, with what you said there too. Yeah, definitely. Yes. Yeah, that is a bit I missed out. So it's much more of a cooperative kind of narrative uh, creation rather than being sort of the DM reacting to, to roles and things like that. So Firebrand, I'm not, I'm not at all familiar with that. So could you, could you explain a little bit more about how that works? Sure. I've not actually played the original Firebrands game. I've read it and I've played um, games built on that framework. But the basic idea is that um, it can be any setting, any genre. But the the key thing that I take away from Firebrands is this idea of discrete scenes. Um, So in the original game, there's things like stealing time together. Um, The original game is like a mecha battle Mm -hmm. game. game so there's things like stealing time together um you know meeting on the battlefield crossing blades um it's like crossing sword to heart or things like that and they're very thematic um named scenes and each um player will take a turn choosing a scene um so as a player you're choosing what you want to happen next in the story and you get to choose uh, which characters are involved you can invite as many or as few other characters um, into the scene. Sometimes they're one-on-one scenes, like stealing time together, um, or a one-on-one duel. And sometimes they're big scenes where maybe we're sharing a meal together. Uh, and then each scene has rules for how it plays out. Usually there's a description of the scene, what might happen, uh, and then some specific rules for that scene. And it could be um, trading questions back and forth from a list, like, um, you know, I 
I lunge at you, do you, you know, parry or do you, you know, block my, block my strike or do you move to the side, that kind of thing. Um, and questions go back and forth until players feel like they have completed the scene and then they decide how it resolves. Um, often they're very narrative forward um, and there's just enough guardrails for players to not sort of feel totally lost. Sometimes there are mechanics involved with tokens going back and forth uh, or counting tokens. And at the end, whoever has the most um, does something. There's like a chase scene where you gain and lose tokens depending on obstacles that your opposition throws against you. And at the end, uh, if the chaser has the most tokens, they catch their quarry. Uh, and if the runner has the most tokens, they manage to get away, things like that. And as people have designed into the Firebrands framework, more and more um, scenes and uh, mechanics have been brought in. But yeah, largely what I take away is that idea of discrete scenes and taking turns around the table, um, choosing what happens next. Yeah. I think it's interesting that you mentioned that you haven't uh, played the original game that it was based on, because I think one of the things that I find about a lot of these sort of game systems, the sort of um, more contemporary game systems is they're very, very flexible and people people take them and play with them. So you never, you very rarely come across two games that are the same because they do what you've done. They've taken a bit from here and a bit from there. And I think that mm. accessibility is is so wonderful because it, it brings about such creativity in people and, and such innovative um, and interesting games. Yeah. And a lot of um, indie games, even um, a lot of McGay and Vincent Baker stuff is, um, like share alike or, um, under creative commons or, um, basically if you, you just need to, um, attribute, um, attribution yeah. license. So, and again, like you're saying, Sarah, just lets that creativity flourish. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very, very sharing kind of community, isn't it? Yeah, it can be. It can be. You said you're, um, motivated by what happens in your life and I, I I'm trying to to see what's the link to, I, I'm always trying to understand how game designers translate their own um, experiences into game mechanics. So you said something very simple about the, how the dice, well, first of all, I would like to hear your opinion in general about that. Uh, like if you have any specific things that happen in your life and how you translate to the mechanic. But one thing I'm thinking is because you mentioned uh, just using something as simple as a die, uh, it, it reflects the, the very basic um, motivation for curiosity. Like we we want to know what happens next, and that leads us to uh, read books um, and consume literature and watch movies and all forms of art uh, have this element of curiosity. You want to know what happens next, and that's why you you engage with them. So I, I guess wh how that randomness. Uh, translates like you you roll a die and you're just drawn by the fact that you don't know what will happen and you want to see what happens how does that translate like mm. from life to game for you yeah i think this is something i particularly thought about making logan my autobiographical game and some conversation that came out of it because yeah mechanics have a um certain you know flavor to them they tell a story on their own um and, you know, hopefully that's designed in tandem with the theme of the game itself. So the thing with um, the Powered by the Apocalypse 2D6, um, two six-sided dice system, is that the way it's designed in combination with stats is that more often than not, you will roll in the seven to nine bracket, which is the mixed success bracket. 
And so it tells the story that these characters um, and, you know, by extension, me, if we're talking about um, autobio, will get through, will be okay, but, you know, there will be consequences. Things won't always be perfect. Um, and it's designed that, yeah, sometimes you have perfect successes and everything's great and sometimes you will fail, but most of the time it'll be in that middle half-half section. Um, and I think that is pretty true to my life at least. Um, I, I would say fairly rarely has anything happened that it's just been 100% perfect. Um, and, you know, that's a whole story about what what does anyone consider perfect. But I feel like it's also telling a story of hope, like you will get through. Um, it may not be perfect, but you'll be able to keep going. Um, you won't just constantly be failing or get sucked or in a downward spiral. Um, so, yeah, that that's kind of the, the story that I feel the Powered by the Apocalypse mechanics tells through Logan. And there's plenty of other, you know, mechanics that could tell a very different story. Mm. Uh, which is very interesting in combination with an autobiographical piece specifically. Yeah. yeah, the one that the one that comes to mind when I'm thinking about you know, where the mechanics are very much tied up in how the narrative will will um turn out is wretched and alone. Yes, yes. Because those those are I love I love them I love that system, but it's really only good mm. for telling stories that are gonna end in failure. <laughs> mm. Yeah. They're and they're going to end in pretty much only one way and i have seen an autobiographical piece that uses the wretched and alone system um and already that you know that tells a certain story in and of itself regardless of the the prompts and things that go through it but yeah that's a great example sarah yeah yeah i should probably explain wretched and alone while i'm at it shouldn't it uh so (laughs) fundamentally uh wretched and alone is a it's a system whereby um you play with dice um well a die you play with cards which um before as the game is designed, um, ordinary playing cards have various meanings attached to them. Um, and you play with a Jenga tower. Um, the meanings of the cards, generally speaking, uh, even cards will uh, give you something nice in your story and they will, they will also give you a token, um, which will allow you to get out of trouble later on. Um, odd cards, queens, jacks and kings definitely uh, are usually bad um, and they will usually require you to pull from the tower um, as well as giving you some narrative um, that isn't very favourable towards you. Um, You lose if the tower falls, which is obviously quite likely if you keep pulling from the tower. You also lose if you pull all four kings. You can only win if you pull the ace of hearts effectively. So they are, it is pretty narratively driven towards catastrophic failure. (laughs) Mm. Drawing inspiration from your life, I, it seems challenging to me in general. But in particular, I wanted to ask you, in your uh, years of game design experience, what has been your biggest challenge in doing this line of work? And how did you overcome it if you did? My biggest challenge? I think, so, yeah, my my toughest game design challenge. I think early on, it was knowing when a game was done and that was just coming from a place of expectations and what you know what's a real game when it's proper um but that's kind of fallen away as i've gone on and something that i'm thinking more and more about as i'm designing is how to satisfyingly end a game um because often if you're especially if you're running a long uh long-term campaign there can be the ending can be like fizzling out right 
we keep not meeting or, you know, it's not as exciting as it was. It just kind of awkwardly ends, um, which isn't a satisfying way to, to end a tale, um, in my opinion. So thinking about how can you satisfyingly end a game, give players guardrails if they're feeling like, uh, maybe this is our last session. Like, okay, great. Here's the ending the game page. And this is how you wrap everything up as neatly as you can. Um, I also like to put a bit of reflection in the end there, like reflecting on the characters and their, their journey or, you know, even uh, a player and your journey as a role player or um, how you've interacted with the game. But yeah, overall satisfying endings because, I mean, that's what, you know, kind of like finishes the journey and gives you that sense of um, completion or there's another word. Catharsis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Closure. Closure. <laughs> yes. Thank you, sir. Closure. I knew it was a C word. I was like, <laughs> closure. Yeah, closure. So um, apart from your own games, which are, which are awesome, um, what other games do you like the most and why? Mm. I've, I've read a lot of games, so this is tough. So I'm going to like throw a bunch of games at you with really succinct sentences as, why, as to why I like them so that we can get through all of them. So my favorite game of all time currently is Parescence um, by uh, Ankylobators on Itch. It's like one page long, no images or anything, just text. And it was like super impactful. Um, and I really like it because it's super impactful and so modest um, and really interesting game design leads to a really interesting story. Second one, Village Song by the Story Brewers. And it's gorgeous art um, and is designed in such a way that it's super replayable. I've played it like six to eight times and it's different every time, which is really awesome. Um, Stealing the Throne is number three and it's just really well designed. It just uses a 52-card deck, some pieces of paper and one six-sided die. But um, the mechanics, I've this designer, Nick Bate, does really interesting things with a 52-card deck, so I'm always really impressed um, by what he does. Just really well designed. Uh, number four, Sex Sigils by Chair, which um, I'm, I really like this game because of the context it sets before the game, and it just really gets you into the right frame of mind to play in this space around um, gender and sexuality. And it's just really well written and just really like gets my brain cogs turning. Uh, in a really nice way. And then fifth and final one uh, is Crossroads by Sebastian Yue, which is a, a game about grief. And um, I, I like it for the emotional impact um, that, yeah, it lands really well. So you said you were going to be succinct, but I'm going to, I'm going to sort of uh, press you on that one because I'm now really, really curious about all of these games. So um, could you... Could you give us, without without spoilers, I guess, if, if that's possible, could you give us a, a sort of a brief uh, description of what each game is about and, and how it plays? Sure. All right. So, Parescence, um, you are playing the role of a forest fire uh, and you draw a forest on a map and use a die to burn away that forest and sometimes uncover things and sometimes burn them away. And the forest um, and the fire is... Uh, metaphor for you and your own life and memories um, and it's kind of a ritual really of letting go of things that you don't need um, which is really beautiful and really well done 
In Village Song, uh, it's a card-based role-playing game. Um, and again, it's like super, super beautiful in uh, visually and mechanically. And you play the leader of a village on an island. Uh, and with your, your fellow players are also leaders of their own villages all on this same island. And as a leader, um, each round you draw cards and it comes up with some sort of conflict or decision that you have to make with regards to your village. And you can either choose to keep the card and deal with it yourself or pass the card and make another leader deal with that problem instead of you. And depending on what you choose, um, it changes your own village, their village, and your island as a whole. Um, and at the bottom of each problem card, it has a, a stanza of a poem or, or of a song. And depending on what problems and how you, what decisions you make, you build your own village song, uh, hence the name uh, of the game, Village Song. And so, yeah, that's also just a really cool like mechanic. Uh, Stealing the throne is about a throne is a giant, like building sized mech robot. And so you all play thieves who are stealing these giant robots. Um, and you take turns being the thief, the throne, uh, or the backup. Um, so as the thief, you have to describe how you're going to sneak in and steal the, or get closer to the mech. As the throne, you describe what's kind of in the way. Is it like lots of drones? Is it the guard? Is it, in fact, this like massive safe door with a 50-digit combination? Uh, and then as the backup, if the thief needs help, they can call on backup um, to help them out. Really well designed. Um, sex sigils, this one's hard to describe, but it's about, yeah, about the, I guess the best way I would describe it personally, having read it, is uncategorizable nature of gender and sexuality and how everyone has their own individual experience um, that even through explaining or even through having sort of similar genders or sexualities, it's all still totally unique. Um, and it's also about when two or more people, people come together to talk about gender, sexuality, intimacy, how it's unique and it will never be recreated the same way. Um, it's, yeah, and it's an invitation to create something totally unique together, uh, which will be represented by a sigil at the end of the game, hence the name. Uh, and finally, Crossroads, um, the way you play that one is by drawing cards, uh, again, using a 52-card deck, though there is a bespoke deck that you can um, print at home. Uh, and each card comes with a prompt um, and it kind of moves you through a journey of uh, grief. And the invitation is, yeah, you could play as a character from your D&D campaign um, who's, you know, one of their favorite NPCs died or something, or you can play it as yourself um, and explore a, a real personal grief that you have. Um, and in that way, that's how I've played it in the past. And it's, yeah, it can be quite eye-opening because it asks you questions. It asks me questions that I hadn't considered asking myself before in relation to that. Mm that particular grief. Um, yeah. I can't actually remember how it ends, but I think at the end you get to choose what you do with that grief and how you want to move forward with it. Well, I'll definitely be checking those out. Thank you very much for that. It's one of the things I really enjoy about this podcast is all the lovely recommendations I get for games that I want to play. It looks like you're inspired by personal transformation when it's expressed in games. Do I get that right? 
yeah, it's games are a really great platform for self-expression and therefore, um, you know, when I reflect on myself and, and it's made clear X, Y, Z, you know, my thinking patterns, my expectations, my, you know, likes, dislikes, even having that made clear allows me to make the choice of, yeah, do I want to own this or do I want to, you know, let go of it or choose something different. And it's in a way that's like fun for starters, mm-hmm. which is great. And also feels really gentle um, and non-judgmental um, because, yeah, transformation can be also positioned as, oh, you need to change. Um, and when, in fact, you know, it can be a lot gentler than that. It can just be a, a self-chosen personal exploration. So yeah, games are really powerful that way. Yeah, totally agree. It's Games are different forms of art combined <laughs> and art is essentially a tool for expression mm-hmm. probably the most powerful humans have invented <laughs> so totally. yeah i also it, it's a part that i really enjoy in games as well to see how differences are expressed and what what they mean for uh, a person's development mm. So I, I guess you would recommend playing all these games and uh, maybe reaching out to the designers of these games. Absolutely. Uh, but let's make it even more explicit, which is a game designer that you really admire and you would love to uh, see being interviewed here. Yeah, I think the game designer I most admire look up to at the moment is Raina Jardi, um, who uh, works out of the Philippines in Manila. He's a super lovely person for starters, but they're also, yeah, doing lots of really interesting things in design. Um, he's one of his most recent games is uh, Apocalypse Keys, which does some interesting things with the Powered by the Apocalypse framework, uh, introducing tokens um, in a new way for that particular system. But yeah, they have a huge category of games on his itch um, of all sorts of things and. There was a particular game, We Forest, We Forest Three, by Ray, that is years old now. But it was, I think, it was the first like solo journaling game that I came across, and totally blew my mind <laughs> that that was even possible. But it also, We Forest Three also explores Filipino mythology um, in a way that was like really, like got me really curious and engaged. Uh, and the system worked really well for me. Um, and I, yeah, eventually went and hacked that game. But he's just got so many games continuously, so many good ideas and and just evolving game design in really interesting ways um, that I really admire. Yeah, it's the second time we hear this recommendation. So we'll <laughs> definitely try to feature Reina Jade. <laughs> I think it might even be the third and and I would definitely I would definitely second second that because I've played our horns and I think it's one of my favourite games at the moment. I just love the idea. So that's it. That's a game um, for the listeners. That's a game about um, a group of ghosts who are sharing a haunted house. Um, and in a nutshell, um, they're telling stories to try and discover why they're there, how they died, possibly, or or whatever stories they want to tell. Really, really cool game. So to kind of round off, a, a, well, nearly round off the, the interview, um, we always like to uh, get some advice from somebody who's got a lot of experience of designing uh, games. So what piece of advice would you give to someone who's starting out in games design? 
Yeah, this is this is something I've had to think about. Um, I do tabletop role playing game design mentoring, um, uh-huh. and so pe- for people specifically who are at the start of their game design journey, and um, what I like to recommend is starting with a really small first project. Um, just get something small out there, you know, like a one page game. Hack other games. There are plenty of really great games that are super hackable out there. Um, it's a great way to just, you know, dip your toes and explore kind of what you like um, and grow into what you want to, you know, do as a designer, what you want your thing to be or, you know, even if you don't want, you know, to assign yourself to a certain kind of genre or what have you, it's small games are a really great way to explore everything that's out there. Um, and, yeah, I feel like this is often writing advice is to just get something out there, just write it down Um and know that you'll you'll get better over time. Um, read games. Reading games counts. You don't have to play every single game um, in order to be like a real game designer or to know enough. Um, read as much as you can. Play play if you can. There's plenty of solo games out there. Um, but yeah, just explore because there's so much out there. Uh, and the you know the more you know, the more ideas that it can spark for you. It's really good advice. <laughs> and to close it off. Because uh, Ludogogi is a game on game-based learning, and uh, one of the most interesting ways that you can learn uh, from games is basically see what you can translate from games into real life, if you can call it that, outside of games. <laughs> so what would be a lesson that you've learned from designing games that you can see applied outside of games? Yeah, I think the lesson that comes to mind is something about new perspectives and possibilities. And in a lot of role-playing games, a lot of the core of it is trying, you know, wacky things, you know, having a roll of the dice and trying something maybe your real life self wouldn't. And so I think what I've learned there is there's often, you know, another way to look at things. There's another possibility. There may be a solution or a pathway that you hadn't even considered. Um, And that, collaboration opens up so many more avenues. Um, you know, role-playing games are a collaborative effort, collaborative role-playing, collaborative storytelling. And often what I've seen in playing games is the story that we tell together is way more cool, way more imaginative, exciting, engaging, touching than a story I would just make up on my own. And I think that translates to real life too. Um, any endeavor, that we do as a group is going to really benefit from that a whole lot more than if you're just doing it solo. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you very much. And if people want to know more about Logan Timmins, where should they look? Um, so probably the best place at the moment is my Twitter. I'm on there maybe too much, um, which is my handle is at ink underscore and underscore stories. Uh, I also have my itch.io page, which is where you can find all of my games, uh, breathing stories, or one word, dot itch, dot io. Uh, and I do have a website, which is woefully neglected. Uh, <laughs> if you want to poke around there, it's logantimmons.com. Thank you very much for being our guest today. Thank you both so much for having me on. It's been wonderful. This has been the Ludogogi Podcast. Game, Game over. over.